0: Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrowlandson.com and sign up right now. Hello and welcome to Focus on Why podcast episode 388. And this is my 62nd Reflections with Action episode. And I'm just back from the most incredible trip to South Africa, focusing mainly on the area around Cape Town and Cape Town itself and Stellenbosch. Now, the irony was not lost on us that John and I were in the heart of what is known as the Cape Winelands, and yet neither of us now touch a drop of wine. When we originally planned the trip back in early 2023, the plan was for me to go wine tasting and for John to be the designated driver. However, with me now sober, we celebrated that we were instead now hashtag sober stellies. And we did go and visit Stark Conde, the vineyard which we had been enjoying for many years, the South African Cabernet Sauvignon that it produced. But instead of wine tasting, we opted to enjoy the beautiful Vista with a wonderful lunch there instead. We took in the beauty of the variety of landscapes that South Africa offers and we maximised the opportunity of exploring the many mountainous nature reserves, walking or hiking them. And this is where we learned a very valuable lesson early on in our trip. What time of day is best for hiking? Well, I can confirm that early afternoon, just after lunch, is not ideal for hiking. Anyway, this is not a travel or an exercise podcast. And while I could speak about our recent trip for many hours, I will revert to the topic of today, Reflections with Actions, the ones that I've gleaned from my last five guests on the show. And first up is episode 383, Sobering Reality with Duncan Baskarin-Brown. With a deep understanding of the neurological and biological effects of alcohol, Duncan Baskarin-Brown works with companies to help create strategies that allow for their employees to reach their full potential whilst also focusing on their well-being and productivity. With a desire to shift the societal norms around alcohol consumption, Duncan has a clear vision for a future where he wants people to feel they are enough and complete without the need for alcohol, junk food or cigarettes. Is alcohol affecting your life and work more than you realize? it could be time to face the sobering reality. For me, reality looks very different today on the 19th of February, 2024, than it did compared to 10th of September, 2023. Having made several decisions to change my approach to vitality and health, I am now celebrating 163 days alcohol-free. And after listening to several Zoe Health podcast conversations and recently watched Dan Buettner's Live to 100 Secrets of the Blue Zones, twice actually, which is the Netflix version of his book, The Blue Zones of Happiness. And I also watched You Are What You Eat, a twin experiment. I have made significant changes to my diet and way of life. Now, without sharing any spoilers from this identical twin scientific study that was on Netflix, You Are What You Eat. It was held over a period of eight weeks and it focuses on which diet is the healthiest as one twin is allocated a plant based diet and the other an omnivorous diet. As I said, no spoilers here. So go and check out what it is that you can understand more about your weight, gut and brain health from this program. You may, as I did, find the results revealing and fascinating as you watch the various struggles and successes that the twins go through when they're adapting to the differences in these lifestyle changes for them. And what I particularly take away from Duncan's episode is the ability to pause and rethink and understand what alternatives are available to you, not just in sobriety, but across all areas of your life. In essence, it is about challenging the status quo and appreciating how much your current lifestyle contributes to your future well-being. Duncan referred to alcohol consumption as a form of well-being mortgaging. You may feel slightly better in the moment after that first glass of wine or whatever it, it may be, but you will feel two and a half times worse at least the next day. Essentially, just like a mortgage, you will ultimately pay more for what it is at a later date. What a great analogy. And you can apply this metaphor to consuming sugar or junk food too. Whilst you may not want to live in excess of 100 like many of these centenarians in the Blue Zones program, although I don't know why you wouldn't want to live a wonderfully fulfilled and happy life and healthy life to the full like this, does it not bother you a little bit that you may be sabotaging your future health? It bothers me. I'm 50 later this year and I recall advice that my father imparted to me when I was turning 30, I think, and that was... Take good health with you into every decade of your life. So here I am at 49, really thinking about the health I'm going to be taking into my 50th year. And since making the decision to no longer drink alcohol, with that, I've also reduced the amount of meat I eat. I've eliminated junk and processed food and reduced the amount of sugar that I'm consuming also. Coupled with that, I've upped my exercise and shifted what that looks like as well. And I'm also doing weekly park runs, which is absolutely fabulous fun, especially when I'm joined by other members of my family. We even managed to squeeze a park run in when we were in South Africa at Pal, which was just beautiful, albeit super hot, even though it's 8am in the morning. So now I've become obsessed with being a park run tourist and seeing where else I can join a park run in the world. And there's also an apps which gamify the whole experience with all sorts of things that you can achieve. So park running is a big part of my life now. And vitality has become this huge focus. And just as Duncan said, I am enough. I don't need alcohol to live a beautiful and happy life anymore. In fact, I would say that since going alcohol free, this has led me to making many other better choices in life that before I was ignorant to, is the best way of describing it, ignorant to the effects of my daily living that it was having on my future. And I'm asking you, is alcohol or your diet affecting your life and work more than you realize? Perhaps it is time to face a sobering reality. Next up is episode 384, Thoughtful Giving with Mindy Gibbons-Klein. Having sold her publishing companies, speaker, author, and multi-award winning entrepreneur Mindy Gibbons-Klein found herself blessed with more time to reflect on what really mattered to her. However, in 2020, demand for Mindy's book publishing services rose as people in the pandemic took to writing books when their usual income sources had dried up. Mindy recognised that during this period, whilst her income had gone up, her giving had not kept up. She suspected she was not alone and so created a way for others to be more mindful of how they could support charities through thoughtful giving. Are you a 1% giver? How much of your income goes towards charitable giving and how much time do you spend on self-reflection? These are the key questions raised in Mindy's episode. And I'm curious, do you consciously donate your time, energy or money towards charitable efforts? Charity and purpose are closely linked as both involve a sense of meaning and contribution to something beyond yourself. Engaging in charitable activities provide you with fulfillment and a sense of purpose, knowing that somehow, Directly or indirectly, your actions are making a positive impact. As a volunteer and charity fundraiser, over the years, I have raised thousands of pounds. I've given thousands of hours of my time and probably walked thousands of miles in the process too. It's where I can combine my values, passions and strengths whilst giving me the opportunity to offer my time and expertise in the areas in which I excel. Charitable initiatives also enable me to connect with others in a community where we can together work towards a shared purpose. I'm not alone in my passion for thoughtful giving in my family. Growing up, I witnessed my parents and grandparents getting involved in their local communities, fundraising or campaigning to make a difference in their corner of the world. My mother has always been and continues to be involved in many volunteering roles and has spearheaded many fundraising campaigns also. Currently, she's a volunteer for the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. My husband, John, also loves volunteering and helping to serve charitable organisations. Fully embracing the motto of hashtag it's what we do, John is often to be found driving between hospitals as a volunteer blood runner for Serve Kent, who supply emergency courier services. Otherwise, you'll find him managing or coaching rugby at school, club or county level. Our two children, now both adults, have also inherited the desire to volunteer and fundraise for charity. The act of giving is a meaningful way to express your purpose. How can you make a positive impact on others in life whilst contributing to a cause, charity or community aligned with your purpose? Here are a few ways that you can demonstrate thoughtful giving. Perform random acts of kindness. Recycle to become more sustainable. Volunteer. Mentor. Share your knowledge or skills in the community. Become actively involved in a cause you believe in. Pay it forward or give back. Spend quality time for those who are lonely or don't have relatives or friends nearby. Simply say thank you and be appreciative of others. Thoughtful giving involves reflection with action. Reflect on the personal fulfillment you experience through your contribution and take action. What is it that you could do today that will have positive impact and go on to create further positive ripples. How can you pay it forward or give back with purpose today? On this topic of charitable giving, one of my very loyal newsletter subscribers brought to my attention and conveyed with much love that what I shared with you just now was what I'd shared in my newsletter, Focus on Giving, but had come across as preaching a little too much, he felt. I would like to take this opportunity with you To make crystal clear that whatever content I share in any of my podcast episodes or in my weekly blogs or newsletters is never intended to be perceived nor interpreted as preaching. If I do ever appear to come across in that way, then I have in some way failed in communicating my point. Please do let me know if this happens, and if it does occur, then in advance, accept my apologies. Preaching is not ever my objective nor my style and I will endeavor to be more mindful in my communication going forward to ensure that this is not the case. I take the positions I hold as podcast host, blog writer, life purpose coach seriously, and I work hard to ensure that I deliver content positively, neutrally, and with an open-minded perspective. The intention of my work is purely to evoke a reflection with action for you in whatever form that takes, which will assist you with actively building your life of purpose. Drawing from a rich and diverse world, I focus on presenting you with options, opportunities, for you to choose what you deem relevant, then embrace and build on what I share, using it as a springboard to help you to create and live a life filled with purpose and fulfillment. Sometimes that may be found in something someone says that you don't even agree with, just as much as in something that really resonates with you. Learnings are to be revealed in many ways, if only you're open to exploration. So if one of my podcast episodes or blogs encourages you in any way to reflect and act, then for me, that is absolutely fantastic and mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned. In fact, this occurred just a few days ago when on Friday, after we'd recorded a podcast episode, Sarah Fox spontaneously posted on LinkedIn what she had experienced as a result of our conversation together. What she shared in her post brought me so much joy as it completely captures the purpose of my work. What she shared also perfectly demonstrates the measure that I use to acknowledge the value gained from the people involved in the show. That being me, my guest, and you, the podcast listener. It's how I know that what I'm doing is making a difference in evoking reflection with action, and that each recording has the potential to create these multiple positive global ripple effects, some of which I might never even learn of, and that's okay. Sarah also shared that many ideas from other episodes that she's listened to have stayed with her. One of those being what Duncan Basker and Brown shared in his episode being front of mind when she was planning her business birthday bash. What I'm doing with the Focus on why concept is I am playing the long game. I have to admit that I'm also having an enormous amount of fun in doing so. How about you? Do you love what you do? Do you do what you love? And do you do it with purpose? So, returning to the topic of giving and self reflection, what my supportive subscriber also wanted to flag up to me was the fact that all around us, good people get on with doing deeds completely under the radar. And that many of these purpose-driven good people sometimes remain anonymous. That many of his family members did not need any public acknowledgement for what they do in terms of fundraising, volunteering or giving. And I want to take this opportunity to appreciate and say thank you to all of these unsung heroes. These people who may be invisible to many, but they are doing incredible work. Just because you and I don't see them sharing what they're doing on social media doesn't negate that the work is being done. So thank you in whatever capacity it is. If you are a thoughtful giver, then know that you are appreciated and that I am grateful for the efforts that you put in. And one more point. In the sharing of his opinion, my fabulous loyal subscriber also shared that his wife has much to offer in the field of unpaid and volunteer work and I'm going to be interviewing her in the future, so watch out for that episode. Once again, despite my content not necessarily landing with the intention I desired, what has occurred is a conversation, and it's evoked another learning and encouraged more than one reflection with action. So it's a multiple win for me, and for Mindy too. As a thoughtful leader, I am sure she will be delighted that her episode has facilitated other opportunities For people to self reflect. Moving from giving, which is an act that many find comes naturally to them, we step into episode 385 Unnatural Success with Charlie Lawson, where he presents the opportunity to explore a topic that does not come naturally to many people. The focus is now switching to networking. Are you a natural networker? Charlie Lawson describes himself as a very unnatural networker. By putting networking across from the point of view of someone who'd rather avoid it completely, Charlie helps professional service folk to gain confidence and find joy in creating meaningful connections. From his own struggles with confidence in social and business situations, Charlie emphasizes the importance of purpose and human connection to create what the term he describes it being as unnatural success. In this episode, Charlie freely shared his own personal experiences and vulnerabilities in social situations, speaking freely about a topic that some people pretend they don't have a problem with. In reality, the act of authentic engagement can be regarded as unnatural, proving very uncomfortable to approach strangers and talk about, or even promote yourself in a business or social setting. What Charlie sets out to achieve in this conversation was identifying that the problem perhaps lies not actually in the act of networking but in the word networking itself. The distinction he makes here highlights the stigma attached to the word which can make some people feel anxious at the very mention of it. So what is networking? Charlie says it's simply talking to people and building relationships. Talking to people is a skill that we were encouraged to learn from a very young age, and it is a skill that we continue to develop throughout our lives every day. So where does the shift happen to networking being perceived as unnatural? I believe it becomes in at the point where there is a shift in the exchange between the people involved. When the exchange of the conversation is not a fair one. When one person in the conversation dominates the exchange, believing that what it is they do or... Who they are is more important than the other party involved. When they don't have the inclination to listen, learn or understand what the other person has to bring to the conversation. That is when there is a breakdown in the relationship and the other person is not enjoying the the conversation at all. You know what I'm referring to here, don't you? Someone has probably just popped up in your mind of when you were on the receiving end of their broadcasting Oh my, this is likely why the word networking gets the bad reputation and stigma that it does. Not only is it incredibly tedious to feel the need to escape from people just like this, but it becomes critical when you know that your time is more precious. Why spend it with people who don't understand how to communicate well and are just broadcasting at you? My preference is certainly to spend time with people who are genuinely in the conversation, seeing me as an equal not just as a target to sell whatever it is that they have to offer me. For me, that is game over and there are no more lives that they can rely on to restart the game. I'm off to a network dinner this week and I will be in the room with more than 70 other entrepreneurs. Unlike Charlie, I've always loved attending networking events as I get to meet new people and connectedness and diversity are two of my core values. Networking gives me the opportunity to serve the needs of both those values. Sure, there may be an initial feeling of trepidation when I first enter a room, seeing everybody else already busy chatting away, but that rapidly disappears the moment that I find someone to speak to and hear what exciting, inspirational and aspirational things they're doing in their work. And the diverse interests that they're pursuing piques my interest. Having made the effort to venture out to meet others, to share my knowledge and time and to act with purpose, I find networking meetings to be particularly productive because people who attend them also tend to share my collaborative mindset in the same manner. Of course, I might stumble upon one of two of those bores I mentioned who just rabbit on about themselves the whole time. But on the whole, people who attend networking events tend to be the types of people who spur you on to achieve your goals, encourage you, challenge you, and support you in the ups and downs of life because they're going through all of that themselves too. Networking enables you to build relationships, to build your business and to build your confidence. When you network, you connect with like-minded professionals who share your purpose, who are aligned with your values, interests and aspirations and who are focused on contributing to a larger cause. If you want to learn and grow, go networking. So what network events will you make the effort to attend? This month? This year? Whether you're a natural or an unnatural networker, Please promise me, though, that you will seek to understand what the why is for whomever you're speaking to, and in mutual exchange, you remember to articulate clearly why you do what you do. Knowing and acknowledging one another's purpose behind your work enables you both to see one another from a totally different perspective, and in learning the why, you will unlock the opportunity to forge a much deeper and more meaningful conversation and relationship with one another. Next up is episode 386, In Your Own Words with Beverly Glick. Would you like to know how to unlock the power of your life stories to influence, inspire and build trust? Well, stay tuned because Beverly knows exactly how. And it is through the powerful skill of storytelling. Through her intuitive yet structured writing process, professional storyteller Beverly Glick has curated a life dictionary of words. symbolize pivotal moments in her life. Believing the essence of effective and authentic communication lies in the power of your personal storytelling, Beverly purposely helps you to find the wisdom and treasure in your stories. For this to be done with clarity, authenticity, and meaningful connection, it has to be done in your own words. And this is a title of the book she's just written, which is available via the Amazon link in the show notes. In the episode we recorded together, Beverly said, don't ever dismiss your own story, your own experiences. There's somebody out there who can benefit from hearing your story. And even more than that, you might be able to change somebody else's life for the better by sharing your story. These words from Beverly resonated with me on a conscious and I guess unconscious level while I was on holiday in South Africa As I took in the breathtaking scenery, observing the minutiae of everything around me, the people, the landscape, the culture, the conversations, the languages, the music, the food, the poverty, the noise, literally everything around me competed for my attention. But those words sat with me throughout. With a jam-packed itinerary, my husband and I covered a lot of ground in the 12 days we were there. We hiked mountains, drove up and down the country, walked miles, swam in pools, dipped our toes in the sea, ran the pile park run, learned about African animals, the vegetation, the people, the heritage. We went to two cricket games at Newlands Cricket Ground, went to vineyards, didn't drink any wine, as I shared earlier, went on safari, ate delicious food, met up with friends and we took lots of photos wherever we went. I can honestly say that I've not witnessed such levels of beauty that this part of the world offers ever before in my lifetime. Oops, there it is. It's sounding like an advert advocating you go visit South Africa. Well, this is not a a travel podcast nor an official South Africa tourism advert, but please do go and check out the incredible country for yourself. It is amazing. But this is my reflection with action from Beverly's words. I appreciate that what we were seeing is a very different South Africa to the years from the more recent past. Wherever we went, we studied the history, seeking to understand those who had trod these parts before us. There are many experiences I could share with you, but there is one in particular that feels the most appropriate. One seemingly insignificant man stood out, and that was Vilyani Henry Cogna. Arrested and convicted for sabotage, he was sent to Robben Island, where from 26th of November 1976, he was imprisoned until he was freed on the 25th of November 1981. Robben Island is 6.9 kilometres off the coast from Cape Town, and since the prison's closure in 1996, it's become a living museum for tourists from all over the world. Voyani now works there as a guide. Whilst I had been enjoying all the beauty of South Africa, here was a man who had been imprisoned for standing up for what he believed in, who now calmly shares his grounding, humbling, lived experience with tourists, just like me. On the day we visited, it was 39 degrees. There was no shade, the sun scorching us and the white walls searing into our eyes. Voyani took us, slowly, through several of the prison blocks, showing us the conditions he spent five years enduring. He showed us the thin mat he had to sleep on, before he and fellow prisoners went on a five-day hunger strike, demanding better living conditions. They were successful and managed eventually to get proper beds. He also showed us the wooden flogging frame known as the Merry, which some warders used for official punishment and also for additional unsanctioned acts of violence. Foyani was straightforward, pulling no punches around the hardship of Robben Island. His words were deeply felt by all the tourists many of whom did not even speak English. He explained how prisoners had to harvest kelp from the icy South Atlantic waters and how others worked the lime quarry without any protective gear at all for their eyes, face or hands, or for anything. And also he explained what the large rock pile was that stood at the entrance of the quarry. It had been started by Nelson Mandela, with other former prisoners returning to the island, adding one stone to it every time. The final place showed to us was Nelson Mandela's cell, or the presidential suite as Voyani referred to it, where Mandela spent 18 of his 27 years. One window faced into the enclosed yard, with another window facing into the internal corridor. There was only a small stool, a bucket, a metal plate, bowl, and spoon, thin floor mat for a bed, with a blanket rolled up one end, and that's it. As I stood outside Mandela's cell looking in, I pictured him sitting on this small wooden stall, planning what he would do when he became a free man. It's hard not to see Mandela without the lens of all he achieved after the release. However, I tried to imagine the man whose future was still uncertain and unknown even to him. The ferry crossing back from the island was a choppy one. As the boat docked safely back into the harbour of Cape Town, I stepped with relief onto the pontoon and thought of all the prisoners who took their first steps of freedom after interment, right at this point. After his release, Mandela would have stepped right where I was with his purpose-driven focus on reconciliation, democracy and a vision to build a united country. There is no doubt that Mandela was an extraordinary man, but it's Vujani who I will remember for the most from this trip. A softly spoken, elderly, former, Robben Island prisoner whose experiences and words are now etched onto my soul. And this is a story I choose to share with you from my trip to South Africa, because I believe that you could benefit from hearing the impact that Voyani had on me. In sharing Voyani's story and the impact it has subsequently had on me, what I seek to do is remind you that every moment you experience has the power to affect change. That could be a slight shift in your own or somebody else's thinking. Or as Beverly proposed, it could be that your story changes someone's life for the better. Take ownership of your own narrative and develop the skill of storytelling to connect and communicate effectively with others. Beverly reminded us that there is no such thing as an ordinary life, that we each have an extraordinary story to tell. And I'm thrilled that Beverly, with all her incredible, insightful wisdom, is the editor of my book, which is going to be published later this year. I'm also extremely grateful to Beverly for facilitating the special milestone episode 400, which will mark the fourth year of Focus on Why. Make sure you mark that one in your diary. It will be out on the 30th of April, 2024. My final reflection for today is episode 387 Unconditional Love with Cindy Powers Prosser. And a huge shout out to my previous guest from episode 381, Karen Volo, who introduced us. I'm always grateful, incredibly grateful for personal instructions and recommendations for guests to come on the show. And again, this introduction did not disappoint. My life has become all the richer as a result of meeting and speaking with Cindy. Holding a profound belief that everyone is inherently a master creator, Cindy powers Prosser has sensed a partnership with the divine to shape her life's path from childhood. Harnessing this extraordinary intuitive power of co-creation that resides within has not only guided her own life, but has also lit the way for others seeking to unlock their creative potential. Cindy is consciously leaving breadcrumbs for others to follow and has a very clear vision of a shift towards a new world, which involves connection, intuition, self-love and unconditional love. She says it's time to take 100% responsibility for who we want to be and how we can create our life from a place of unity, consciousness, trust, joy, creativity, curiosity, working together, co-creating with all like-minded people, creating more community and having more fun. That's what I want to believe, she said. This is a touching, heartfelt and beautiful conversation that focused on love over fear and felt perfectly aligned to be released on Valentine's Day of all days. As I released the episode, I recommended that you gave yourself the gift of self-love and tune in to understand how you can also adopt unconditional love into your life. Love comes in many forms. It could be loving your pet, loving your partner, loving your friends, loving your hobbies, your food, so many different types of love. Unconditional love is referring to the different kind of love that you provide as a grandparent in this episode to your grandchildren. Now, I'll have to take Cindy's word for what it feels like to be a grandmother, but I can vouch for what it is like to be a granddaughter on the receiving end of this unconditional love from a grandparent. It is different to the love you get from your parents or friends or others, partners. And as a parent myself, I can appreciate why it is so different. After spending several hours with Cindy on and off air, the conversations we had and the connection we formed was unexpectedly special for me. And I think for her too. After our first call though, which I always have with guests before we record, I shared with Cindy the relationship that I had with my grandparents, particularly my grandfather, and why it was so meaningful and important for me to have co-written the book with him, despite him not being alive anymore. My book talks of this relationship between my grandparents and of the love that we shared. And in many ways, we still share that love because it remains in my heart. And as I've now written about that love in the book, I feel it's going to continue to be known and understood long after I part the world too. And that is a legacy and strength that love brings. It never actually really dies. And in sharing the special bond that my grandfather and I had with Cindy and the lasting impact he was having on me some 30 years after his death, something shifted for Cindy. And she said that she now saw her role as a grandparent in a very different light going forward. I also feel that it's because we shared the ability to naturally tap into our intuition that we got on so well. Ironically, in reflection, I think I may have taken the ability to access my own intuition naturally for granted, as believing it's something that everyone does. However, on further investigation, I appreciate that intuition is not how everyone processes the information they receive all the time, that some people prefer to be sensors instead. How much of your decision making in life is based on trusting your intuition? I know it's hard to measure, but if you had to hazard a guess, do you favor more of an intuitive or a sensing approach? Intuition is the instinctive understanding or insight that you can experience something without the need for conscious reasoning, often described as having that gut feeling where you can't necessarily articulate exactly why. If you are someone who uses intuition, you're more likely to see a world full of possibilities, be future focused, have the ability to read between the lines, readily tap into your imagination and inspiration or more abstract concepts. The alternative approach to intuition is sensing, where you use your five senses to process the information you're receiving. You're more likely to focus on the present, prefer to trust what's absolutely concrete and certain, favor realism, practical application, and factual information, relying on evidence and logic to make your decisions. The conversation I had with Cindy highlighted how much intuition can act as a guide in your decision-making and in living a life with your true purpose. Cindy emphasizes a concept of conscious creation, proposing that everyone has the ability to be this master creator that she speaks of, a skill that she has intuitively developed since childhood through co-creating her life with the divine. Cindy believes that tapping into your intuition allows you to ask for guidance, to look for signs, and like Hansel and Gretel, following the breadcrumbs, move towards the life you want to create for yourself. Cindy shared her personal experiences of how she used intuition to guide her, notably the decision to up sticks and move to New Zealand, which happened after she received three significant signs in response to her request for guidance from the universe. Cindy asserts that co-creating with the divine involves a feeling more than a form. And if you are to consciously create, it's crucial to be clear about what you desire and how you want to feel in your new circumstances. This focus on clarity and intent supported by intuition and deep connection with the divine in whatever form that takes for you, can fundamentally guide your purpose and the path you take in life. But what happens if you ignore your intuition? You could miss out on important signs or those breadcrumbs that could help you to navigate life decisions more confidently and aligned with your purpose. Without engaging your intuition, you could unconsciously create a life that's not recognizing your potential to shape and design your own future. I fully embrace my intuition and trust my gut implicitly. On one particular occasion, my intuition was really put to the test. Whenever I reflect on the importance of whether to trust my intuition or not, I simply refer to what happened to me on the 2nd of October 2021. That was a moment when I trusted my mother's intuition, shall we call it? And whilst I don't know for sure, I do believe that it was my intuition which saved my son's life. There's a link to the blog that I wrote about this particular event in the show notes and it's called Focus on Recovery if you want to find out more about what happened. I'm now going to close out today's Reflections of Actions with one message. Be open to what your intuition has to say. Be open to seeing and reading any signs that appear for you. Be open to opportunities. Trust your intuition. Know that sometimes you may not have the evidence to support your decision or feeling. But trust what American astronomer Carl Sagan said, that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.